What we're going to talk about today is salvation from the penalty of sin, our not guilty verdict. In theology, and also it's named, given this name in the Scriptures, it's given the name called justification. We talk about in our growth studies, it's just as if you didn't have sin. This is, this is God's way of rescuing us in, in, from, from the, uh, the penalty of sin so that we will no longer need to spend eternity in hell because hell is designed as a consequence of our sins. Here in a couple weeks, actually beginning next week, and we'll be talking about it for the couple weeks, salvation from the power of sin. You see, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you have all kinds of baggage. <laughs> we, we all have all kinds of baggage, right? Those sinful habits, those, those bad habits, those infirmities, they all kind of come with us. It's, what has happened, though, is that God has changed our being, and He's pronounced us justified. He said that you're not guilty. Now we have to begin the process of understanding how God wants us to live. And that process is what we call sanctification. You're learning how to be holy. God has called you a saint, and now you have to learn how to live like a saint. That's the process of sanctification. By the way, this process of sanctification will last your entire lifetime. Your, your life here on earth, you'll never get past this this uh, stage or this uh, phase of sanctification, you see, because the very next level is salvation from the presence of sin. That's what happens either one of two, uh, one of two ways. Either Jesus is going to return and the rapture is going to happen, and we're going to be ushered immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ, it says, in the twinkling of an eye, according to the Scriptures. Or, if the Lord should choose to tarry, you and I will die. And when we die, if you are a child of God, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So there is no long white tunnel or bright light that you have to walk down towards. It's immediately in the presence of the Lord. That's if you're a child of God. But you won't get to this place of glorification without either death or the rapture. So what we need to talk about and what we want to focus on is how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, according to the Scriptures, right? How do we begin to understand and wrestle with the salvation and then begin to live in it? Because the, the reality of it is, is that so many uh, individuals who self-identify themselves as Christians are not living out their salvation as God has designed it, right? That's the reason why we have so many people that are looking from the outside of the church onto the inside of the church and saying, well, I know what that person does with their lives. And let me tell you, they're not acting like a Christian acts. It's, isn't it interesting? Even the world knows that a Christian should live and act differently, they, they know that we're designed somehow to be set aside, and they're watching us. It's so crucial that we choose to live in the, uh, uh, above the power of sin. 
So today I want to focus on this, this thought of justification. Remember, last week I talked about, I'm not giving you a series memory verse like I have the habit of doing, but I want to talk about something that we call positional truths. Last week we talked about if we're inside the building and it's raining on the outside of the building, right, you're not going to get rained on. Why? Because of your positional truth. Because positionally, you're inside the building, it's the same way with our salvation. Positionally, when God saves us, we are positionally different before Him. No longer are you a vessel of wrath. No longer are you in bondage by sin and slavery and headed towards death and destruction. But now you have the position to be a child, a son, or a daughter of the living God. And it's discovering how to live before that. I think there's a really important term that every Christian ought to know, <clears throat> that's the term that we're talking about today, justification. Say that with me, justification. It's just as if you didn't have any sin. You know what justification is? Justification means God has declared you just. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 back up the train for just a second here. I know what my life has been like don't worry, so does God. God is not saying, oh, you know what, I don't think you ever did any of those things. You see, that's not what a not guilty verdict is. Legally, a not guilty verdict is not saying that someone's innocent. It's just saying, you know what, there's not, a, not enough evidence to incriminate you to pronounce you guilty. And what has happened is God has legally changed our standing before Him. Justification is a legal definition. Justification is what happens to the, uh, to the Christian the moment that God saves us. We throw out another theological term that we use in Christianity, and we call it regeneration. The moment that God has regenerated us, the moment that He has made us new, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, you and I are now legally in a different standing before God. He has adopted us in. He has made us His child. And now legally, you and I have every benefit and blessing and responsibility and privilege that being a child of God entails. You are justified. It's your not guilty verdict. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us are guilty, right? Right? All you need to do is read a little bit of the Bible and you can see, whoo, boy, I've done some pretty bad things because that's the purpose of the law. God has given us this Mosaic law in order for us to see how sinful that we really are. That's why we needed a Savior. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, if you go to the book of 1 John in the New Testament, you read where John says, if any of you says that you are without sin... You make God out to be a liar. And at the end of the day, all of us know the truth of the matter is, is that God is not a liar. So if we say that we are without sin, we're deceived. So that when you stand before God through this thing called justification, the penalty of sin has been removed from you. Isn't that a good thing? You see, the penalty of sin 
according to the Bible, is that all of us would be separated from God. You and I were destined to hell. No matter how good you are, no matter what family you come from, the truth of the matter is, is we were headed to hell in a handbasket, and here's the truth. God rescued us from that. So this salvation, this, this not guilty pronouncement is great. It's good news. That's what we just finished talking about, a whole series that we talked about, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is, is that Jesus came so that He could remove that guilty verdict that you and I were bound to. Only He was able to give that substitutionary atonement for our sin. That's what we're going to talk about today. Listen, if you're a Christian and you struggle with chronic guilt about your inability to live up to God's high and holy standards, right? Because God has very high and holy standards. Let me reaffirm the first truth about your new position. Remember, this is positional truth. The first truth that God gives to a Christian is not guilty. You are justified. Yet how many Christians do you and I know that struggle with chronic guilt? Now listen, God has given us these two different mechanisms. One is guilt and one is conviction. Conviction comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Guilt is also given to the world so that they can know something's wrong, something's amiss, something needs to be changed, and that change can only come through the key who is Jesus Christ. If you struggle with, oh man, what a wretch I am. Oh man, I am, that's good to be humble before God, but don't, don't lament sin because God has said, not guilty. Not guilty. Therefore, you don't have to worry about condemnation. Now, just in case you're thinking <clears throat> to yourself, Brad, well, all that is nice if you say it, but I'd really prefer that I hear it right from the mouth of God. Let me give it to you. If you have your Bible with you, Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to go through 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip a few verses, not because it's not important or great you know, the verses, but you would be here much longer than what you would want to be here if, uh, if I went through all those verses. So then we're going to skip a few verses, and we're going to head down to about verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore, what's that say? Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with chronic guilt as a Christian, don't. That verse should liberate you. It should free you. Remember, sometimes Satan is the one deceiving us and wanting us to feel that guilt, wanting us to be deceived. Because when we feel that guilt, when, when we live in that guilt, it is us who is not living in the fullness of the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I came to make them free, and those who are free in Christ are free indeed, right? So why do we struggle 
with guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, grace through the gift of Jesus Christ has now set you free what the law, the Mosaic law, could not do. You see, the Mosaic law was never designed for a human being to fulfill the Mosaic law. The only person who ever fulfilled the Mosaic law that was issued to us in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, because He was fully God and fully man. The only one ever capable of doing that. The Mosaic law is a gift to us so that we can see what the boundaries are. And so verse 2 tells us, listen, grace has been given to you in order that you can now live free because you could never live free by the Mosaic law. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, Mosaic law, weakened by the flesh. In, order, in other words, you couldn't accomplish what the law uh, wanted or, or was designed to do, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, listen, in the likeness, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He, being Jesus, condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about what we're going to begin studying next week, we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. In, order, in other words, we begin the process of sanctification. Now, let me jump down to verse 31. If you're following along in your Bible, jump down to verse 31. That's where we're going to pick back up. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also with, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any uh, any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, God who legally makes us just. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We've talked about this in our last series. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Listen, God holds our lives in His hand. In in this garbage that is oftentimes presented, we call it the prosperity gospel, that, that, oh, if you are really a Christian, then this is going to happen to you, and you're going to be wealthy, and you're going to be healthy, and if you're not healthy, well, then you're not praying hard enough. Let me tell you, even people who were were resurrected from the dead in the New Testament by Jesus Christ, they had to die again. They still got colds. So this garbage of the prosperity gospel and buying into that, oh, Christians are going to have a bed of roses for their lives, that that stuff doesn't fit at all with the Scriptures. In fact, if you read here in verse 36, what does it say? We as Christians are set as sheep for the slaughter. God will do with us as He desires according to His good purposes. Now that doesn't fit at all with the prosperity gospel, does it? 
God will choose what happens in our lives. He will protect us. Nothing will ever happen in your life that is out of God's control. You can never be in a place where God cannot redetermine or re-guide your life. You are in the palm of His hand, no matter where you're at, whether you're in a foxhole in war or whether you're at work. You are sheep regarded for slaughter. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen? That is your fixed position before God. That, that is where the, the Christian stands you are now legally justified. There is no condemnation that is being put upon you. No matter what people say against you or for you or how they act towards you, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is pleasing our King. When we worship here, we don't worship so that our neighbor can hear us sing. We worship to an audience of one. We come here so that we can learn not about our neighbors, not more about me, but about God. We come here so that we can exalt the living God who loves you, who has the power of your life in his hand. Isn't that good news? That should be encouraging news. That bit about us being sheep set for the slaughter, that shouldn't bother you one bit because God is going to do what He sees fit according to His purposes and according to His great grace, according to His great love. It shouldn't bother you whether we live or die because this world is not your home. You're only here with me as we journey through. There is a greater eternity that awaits us. This is that glorification that we talk about. When God performs the work of salvation in a life, there is no power in the created order that can undo what God has done. No power in the created order that can separate you from the love of God. No power in the created order that can take away your salvation. As if God can say, oh man, I really tried to hold on, but I just couldn't. That is the status of your salvation. Oftentimes, I think that there's a real misunderstanding that circulates in, in, in churches about God's grace and about this topic of, uh, of justification. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God didn't show me justice, He showed me grace? Have you ever heard someone say something like that? God didn't show me justice. He showed me His grace. Me, and what they're saying is, God gave me salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, that I get what they're saying. However, it's not biblically accurate. You see, God showed us both. 
You see, God did not set aside his justice. And I think that this is oftentimes where Christians and non-Christians alike are confused about the love of God. Because some people will say, well, God's so loving, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, that's just nowhere, anywhere close to understanding the Bible. Because God gave us his son so that we could have the opportunity to choose his son so that we could avoid hell. God poured out his wrath and his justice upon his son. That's the point of the cross. You see, God is a perfect God. And as a perfect God, he needs to execute his perfect justice. He can't just say, oh, you know what, I love you so much. I'm just going to set aside my justice and my wrath, and I'm just going to show you guys love. You see, he wouldn't be a just God if he did that, right? He wouldn't be a good God if he did that, because his justice needs to be executed. It's here's, here's what happened. He executed his justice upon a substitute, upon Jesus. And that's how you and I, the mechanism that God used to justify us. And I want you to know that salvation personally fixes you in God's grace. It positionally fixes you in God's grace. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is I love this word, covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But in order to cover our sin, he needed to execute his wrath. God's justice and wrath needed to be appeased in light of humanity's sin. And that's why Jesus, or that's why God sent His Son, fully God, yet for a period of time, 33-ish years, fully man. That's an amazing mystery, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so what ends up happening to cover us, for us to be blessed... So God covers our sin, the mechanism by which you and I are justified is what we call the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, whoa, you're using $5 words there. We've got to break these down. You see, I personally think that these are words that every Christian ought to know. They ought to know that they're justified now that they're legally made right. You see, it's, it's, it's fascinating. The more you know about who you are, the more you be, are able to live like who God has designed you to be, right? If you don't know that you're free, then you don't get to act like you're free. But if you know a lot about your freedom, you can act according to your freedom. This idea of atonement is the idea of a covering. Say that with me, atonement. Atonement. It's covering. So we have two new words this morning. We have justification, which is God legally declaring us just, and we have atonement. This is the mechanism by which God makes us just. 
If you read your Bible very much, you're going to come across this word atonement, especially if you read the Old Testament. When you get into the Gospels, you'll see it occasionally. When you get into the book of Hebrews, you're going to see it an awful lot. When you get into the book of Romans, you're going to see this word atonement. And so you got to know what atonement means to be able to understand your Bible and understand God's great salvation. The Hebrew word for atonement is a word that we call um, kafar. Kafar literally means to cover. But in addition to covering, it means to wipe away, to appease, to cancel, to forgive, to reconcile. Now follow me. In order for your sins to be forgiven, our sin debt needed to be wiped away, covered, atoned. But here's the problem. You and I can't atone it. You and I can't cover our own sin. We can try to conceal our sin, but we can't cover our sin. We can't wipe out our sin debt. No human capacity can atone for sin. And listen, if there's no atonement, then there could be no forgiveness of sins. And if there's no forgiveness of sins, consequently, we're going to suffer the result of God's wrath there would be no justification. Therefore, God in eternity past, before the foundations of the world was even set, before God spoke and created the world into being, He knew that He was going to have to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die that sin, or to die that death. God sent the third person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was not of any kind of substance of sin, who had never sinned nor could sin to be our sacrificial lamb, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, and Revelation 13.8. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to be our, ready, substitute. He died in our place. And because Jesus Christ is our substitute, because He bore the wrath of God in our place, you and I no longer are the vessel of wrath, and so we receive God's grace because God's wrath was appeased through the cross. So you and I have seen not only God's grace, but we've also seen God's wrath and His justice. God still exercised His perfect wrath, His perfect judgment, His his perfect penalty for sin, and it was poured out upon Jesus on the cross, the sin for you and I. It was poured out on Jesus rather than us. Go back and read Isaiah 53. By His wounds, Isaiah wrote, we are, does anybody know what it says? We are healed. Now listen, a lot of times there'll be some denominations that will talk about, well, see, that, that's, that's what we need to say and that's what we need to declare in order to pray over somebody for them to be physically healed. That's not talking about physically heal, physical healing. That's talking about our spiritual healing. By the wounds and the piercings of Jesus Christ, by His tormented death, you and I 
now have opportunity to be healed. This is what substitutionary atonement is all about. Our sins were covered by a substitute who died in our place. That is how we were justified. As a result of all those things, God says, not guilty. Not guilty. And what has happened, not only has He declared us not guilty, but in the mix of this stuff, He's made us new. You see, for O.J. Simpson, he was still bound by sin and all the other things, even though that this judge had pounded his gavel and said, not guilty. But when Christ declares not guilty, there's something that happens on the inside of us to where we have a spiritual renewal. And no longer are we vessels of wrath. No longer are we enslaved to the power of sin. But now we're free. We are spiritually free to live according to the desires and the parameters of God. Here's the thing. You can still choose to live a fleshly life, but you can also choose to live a life that is honoring to God. Let me give you a couple parting thoughts. Just because you're justified doesn't mean that you're sinless. You, you see, I, I've, I've talked with and counseled Christians who have struggled with guilt. Sometimes I think it's a spiritual bondage that Satan had a hold on them in such a way that they don't understand positionally their new life in Christ. And it could also be that they're not genuinely saved if they struggle with that. You see, I, I, I've been around some people who've gone to church for a lot of their life, and, and, and the light hasn't come on, or if it's come on, they've kind of like, oh, you know, I'll get to it eventually, but there is something that happens that when you're a new creation in Christ, your life changes. And you're not going to be perfect, not here in this lifetime. That's what this phase that we call glorification is all about. We're not going to be perfect until we're in the presence of Christ. But what we are to begin to do is we're to begin to pursue holiness, we're to begin to pursue sanctification, living like God wants us to live. You remember in the Scriptures that God says, He gives this high holy standard in this commandment of be holy as I'm holy. That's crazy. I mean, that's just big. You're not going to be fully holy like God is holy, but we can begin to begin to be holiness, or to be holy as God is holy. You and I, we're always going to struggle with sin here in this lifetime. Don't just use that as a crutch or an excuse, though, to say, well, you know, see, I told you, I'm always going to be sinful. Because you can go to that extreme as well. Here's a second thought. Justification, understand it's only the first step of salvation. You see, I think that there's people out there who identify themselves as Christians 
but all that they're really after is a get-out-of-hell-free card. They just don't want the punishment. My two-year-old and my four-year-old act the same way. At times, it's amazing. Where did they learn how to not tell the truth? It just happens. Taylor, did you beat your brother? No. Taylor, tell the truth. I'm afraid. Where did they learn that? You know, it's fascinating that we as adults, too, sometimes act the same way. We're just bigger. We, we want to get out. We just want to avoid the punishment, but we don't want anything of what God has called us to be. And for those people, I'm not so sure that they've really had the saving work of grace in their life. They're just wanting eternal fire insurance. You see, what happens is God will place a desire in us. He'll place a revelation in us that we see how truly sinful that we are, and we go through this process and we mourn our sin. And we go to this process to where we begin to, what do you know, desire the things of God. And so for the person who self-identifies themselves as a Christian but yet never desires the thing of God, I would say, boy, I'm not quite sure if you're really saved. Because the Bible says that a true believer will begin to desire the things of God. You know what that is? That's sanctification. This justification, this fire insurance is just the first step. Therefore, all that being said, we press on towards sanctification. We inherit all the rights and all the blessings and all the privileges of being sons and daughters of the living God. We now have a power and authority over sin that we never had before. We now can live above the sin that would easily entangle us. We, we, we now have the opportunity to begin to be holy and to taste the things of God. Why? Because, as we learned in our last series, God has given us the, the down payment of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and the ability to do that. That's this gift. That's what happens at justification. So, in the next couple weeks, next several weeks, we're going to talk about God's great salvation in respect to learning how to live holy. Learning how to, to live in the freedom that God has given every believer. Learning how to live in the power of Christ. Learning how to live through the authority of the Holy Spirit. Because when we begin to live in those ways, we're going to begin to be sanctified and be more holy just as God is holy. What liberating, freeing truths these things should be to us. What glorious way to worship God.